Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. It's great to have you here with me for a Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. This is edition number 162 of season 8 as we continue looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith. Today we will take up chapter 29, paragraph number 3. Let's pray together first. Our Father in heaven, as we come once again to your word and we come to consider this most important sacrament that you have given to your church, that it might strengthen your people, that it might encourage them in their walk, in their pilgrimage to their heavenly rest, we pray, Father, that we would know and understand more so the importance of this meal and that we would take to heart uh, all of the things that it pictures for us. We pray that uh, you would help us Uh, to understand your word, that you would grant us your spirit, that you would forgive us for our many sins and transgressions, our sins of omission and commission, and the ways we fall short of your glory. May you be gracious to us. Even now we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, in the Tuesday edition, we uh, considered various matters related to the sacrament itself, as that Christ is not offered up to his Father. That is to say, we are not engaged in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in any sense of which the Roman Catholic Church is involved, and that we do not re-crucify Christ in the Lord's Supper. Uh, It is indeed um, uh, not even remotely close to anything Uh, such as that uh, Christ has been sacrificed once for all for sin. Um, And so we repudiate any idea that the sacrament in any sense uh, does that. Uh, Paragraph 3 gives to us some basic foundational truths regarding the Lord's Supper, things that you probably know, you've heard stated in the words of institution, as your minister um, stands behind that table and serves the Lord's Supper to you. And so let's just read paragraph number three. There's two main issues to consider within this paragraph. So paragraph number three of chapter 29, The Lord Jesus hath in this ordinance appointed his ministers to declare his word of institution to the people, to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine, and thereby to set them apart from a common to and holy use and to take and break the bread, to take the cup, and they communicating also themselves, to give both to the communicants, but to none who are not then present in the congregation. Okay, so two fundamental issues are present here in this this, um, particular paragraph. Again, nothing I'm about to say, except for maybe the second item, is is new. Uh, The second item has uh, some issues to work through. Uh, But let's first just look at uh, the passages that highlight the first item, Matthew chapter 26 and verse uh, verse 26, uh, verses 26 through 28. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took, took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so what we have here is basic instructions that are given to the ministers that are appointed and charged with uh, serving the Lord's Supper uh, to God's people. And that's precisely what it says when it says the Lord Jesus hath in this ordinance appointed his ministers to declare his word 
of institution to the people. Now, those words are the words I just read from Matthew's Gospel, and of course, the parallel accounts are very much the same. Now, what we need to note that in the words of institution, um, we have given to us by example, uh, that is to say, by the very things the Lord Jesus Christ did, we note that he prayed. Uh, we see that there in, um, in, verse, um, in verse 26, after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. He prayed, and he blessed the elements of bread and uh, wine. Now, your minister may do it in separate actions. He may pray over the bread and then have that distributed and then pray over the cup and then have that distributed. It's not necessary, I don't think, to do both do, to, to both of those, uh, but it needs to be done um, uh, prior to the distribution of the elements. And so typically what I do is I pray that the Lord would bless these things to the hearts and minds of the recipients and that he would set these elements apart from their common use to a holy use. And that's precisely the language that's given to us here in this paragraph. What we are simply saying is that we are not in any way changing the substance of the bread or the wine into something spectacular. Uh, Not like the idea of Rome where the, the wine becomes the literal blood of Christ and the bread becomes the literal body of Christ. By no means are we even remotely saying such a thing. But what we are asking for is that God would bless these elements, the bread and the wine, to a holy use and a holy end. And so though they are common things that we will find in in most uh, kitchens, most homes in America or wherever you may be, bread and wine and common things, uh, we are asking God the Holy Spirit to bless them in an uncommon way uh, to the hearts and minds of the people. Of course, it's not magic, as I've said before. It's something that we need to receive by faith, that this is not only uh, physical, sensible signs in which I can touch and taste and smell and see them, but they are really food for my soul. The other thing that I do, and as instructed by this paragraph, is to break the bread. Now, that's symbolic, of course, as the broken body of Christ, and so I will often say that 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 um, he took bread and he broke it as I'm ministering in his name now do uh, for you. And to take the cup and then to distribute these elements uh, to the recipients um, in the congregation. Now note also the parenthetical phrase that is here in this paragraph. Not only am I to give the sacraments, the bread and the wine, to the recipient, uh, to the members of the church, But I'm also to myself communicate as well. That is to say, I'm to participate in this meal as is anybody else. It's one of the reasons why, maybe you've never given much thought to this, but you might think, well, why is your um, uh, sanctuary, uh, you want to call it a worship center, wherever it is you gather for public worship, whatever you want to call it, but why is it that the, the pulpit is elevated in the Lord's Supper, the table that the elements are on are down on the same level uh, with the rest of the people. Well, here's one of the reasons, because though I may be officiating behind that table, I too am to commune with the people as they are communing with one another. And so what we typically do is that after I go through the words of institution, I will hand the trays to my elders, and one of my elders will serve me directly Uh, So he will offer it to me and I will take the bread and then later take the cup 
um, from the tray and I will set it on the table before me just for sake of convenience. But the fact is I am being served as in the same sense in which I am serving others. And I'm having a ruling elder do that um, uh, for me. Now, there's this interesting uh, line here at the end of this paragraph that is of uh, importance. And it has caused or at least generated some discussion as to what exactly do we mean here. What does it mean when it says, but to none who are not then present in the congregation. Now, the passages that are used for the proof text, uh, first Acts chapter 20 uh, and verse 7. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11 um, and verse uh, number 20. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse uh, 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now, the emphasis here, of course, in both of these proof texts is that the congregation is together. They come together. They are there together. Now, the debate comes as to whether this means they all have to be in the same room. Well, what do you do in circumstances in which you do have a nursery? Uh, we don't have a, an official nursery. We have a cry room. It's right outside of our sanctuary in which the worship service is piped into that room. The person is right there. They can hear the sermon. They can participate in all the different elements of worship, uh, would you consider them to be outside of the congregation? I would argue no, and not in that case, because, because the defining factor, I think, is that they need to be able to participate in the public worship. Now, what do you do with a person who, for whatever reason, disappears from the sanctuary and goes off and hangs out in a different part of the building and is really not engaged in any way, shape, or form with the worship service? Should you serve the elements to them? I would argue no, because they have not participated in the full, um, the full aspect of the public worship service, and they have not sat under the preaching of the word. Therefore, they should not take the Lord's Supper, for they were not joined with us as in the congregation for the entirety of the service in which the Lord's Supper is a part, an element of which it's served. Now, what do you do if a person goes to a different room and is watching the service on a on a TV screen, watching a live stream. Again, I'm reticent to think that that's the same thing as being part and parcel of the worship of God. Uh, if you want to accept that, then you're going to have to accept that it's okay for people to do it in their living room when they're watching the live stream. Frankly, what's the difference other than the fact that one's inside the church building and one's inside of the home? But in either case, that's something that your elders are going to have to wrestle with. Now, we have not had occasion yet to discuss these things here at Providence. I plan on it, but it's not something that we've actually discussed yet as to the, 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 the historic understanding as to this phrase. But suffice it to say, it's, I think, enough to say that the, the Lord's Supper should be given to those who are engaged in the public worship of God in the congregation. And you're going to have to wrestle through what that actually looks like. I've given you my, the various issues that occur here, but they may look very different for your church. You may have a nursery that's remote from 
the, the, the sanctuary, but the worship service is actually being piped into them and they're able to sing, they're able to participate in the prayers, they're able to hear the word of God preached and your elders may say that's fine, that's, that's, that's cause sufficient to take the Lord's Supper. They may say it's not, uh, but whatever case may be, uh, this final phrase in this paragraph has caused some discussion as to its function and meaning on a practical level. level. So I would defer to your elders, of course, in this situation, um, but you've heard my opinion anyway as pertains to this. But I do think the importance here is that we are gathered together, that we are, we are, uh, we are together in the public worship of God, and that much cannot be argued, that at least those who are present in the sanctuary should indeed participate in the Lord's Supper. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Thursday edition, when we take up paragraph number four and discuss matters related to private masses, may the Lord help you today. May you walk in his ways. God bless.